to Beyond the Ring, a podcast that covers all things in the stock show industry from the informative to the insane, starring Ryan Rash. The most powerful thing you can do is become the image of your imagination. And Dale Hummel. Think for yourself. You may be surprised with the success that will follow. Now on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Ring. This is Dale Hummel alongside co-star Ryan Rash. Hello, hello, hello. Ryan, I hope you've had a good week on your, your travels through Oklahoma. Um, ah, this is the Oklahoma County Fair Judging Marathon 2021. Every single day this week, somewhere across the great state of Oklahoma. And I tell you what, the things you see at a county fair, it just never ceases to amaze me. And one of these is one that was postponed from last week because of weather. Two. Two of both them. of them. Got it. Yeah, two of them. And I'm assuming the weather is much better right now. It's it's acceptable. Here in Oklahoma, it's real nice. I mean, it's a little chilly in the morning, but then it kind of gets to be just perfect weather in the afternoon. And so, yeah, it's real good. No snow, no ice. They have water and heat, and they have food here, all those things. I will say, on my way up, I've left the San Antonio Stock Show to drive up here Sunday, which I should not have done. I should have flown, but I didn't. Because it was nine hours and it was terrible. Anyway, I had to stop four different gas stations to find gas at one time in the state of Texas. So Biden's socialism has already taken effect. <laughs> it's in play. It's already there. It's already there. We are already Russia. Oh, I, I did hear that uh, my daughter and manager were traveling Texas last week and down there to help clients at San Antonio Stock Show, and they kept telling me about they were living off of Cheez-Its and beef sticks, and, and I didn't believe them, but I, I think there was a little truth to it for at least a couple days. I mean, this was Sunday, and, we, and I'm talking on Interstate 35, a major interstate, four different gas stations before I found fuel. And was there a line at the, the gas station that did have it or no? Yes. I, I hear gas station food, snacks were even even wiped out. Nothing. Okay, the Walgreens in downtown San Antonio on the Riverwalk, which you would not think is like a real hubbub. There was no water, no food, no drinks, no nothing. Every place I stopped on my way to San Antonio, it was, I mean, not completely empty, but very sparse. It's nuts, and I don't, I don't, I don't even know if Texas has water. Of course, I'm down there. I don't even know if Texas has water right now. Like, I do not think my parents do. When you go into a gas station or Walgreens, you're saying that the shelves are not, maybe if not totally empty, pretty bare. On my way up here in last weekend, yes, and when I'm talking closer to totally bare than not. And and we're just talking a few days. It's interesting how how tight we are on that supply chain. Yeah, frightening a little bit even. I mean, I don't know about now, but. There was no gas in my hometown. When I left for San Antonio, there was no restaurants open, nothing. We could have been like in the pioneer ages. For a non-self-sufficient gay, this is a problem. I am very self-sufficient. Please. <laughs> you know, I, I do have something I want to bring up in current events. Oh, good. China! No. Well, oh. yeah, indirectly. Yeah. Indirectly. Okay. You, you did not hear about Flight 2292. No, American Airlines. Still been a little busy judging shows. This this pops up on my phone three or four times a day. Well, Dale, I don't look at my phone while I'm judging the show. And then there I am driving back to the hotel. So, no, I'm a little sparse 
on current events. I will bring you up to speed, and you're going to like this. Oh, you're good. going to appreciate it. Oh, okay, Lord. we've we've got an American Airlines flight 2292 traveling from Cincinnati to Phoenix. Encountered an object flying west of Clayton, New Mexico, in the northeast corner of New Mexico. This was an air. Oh, is this by Area 51? I, I don't know honestly where Area 51. This fits is aliens, in. isn't it? It is aliens. Oh, it is. Sweet Jesus. So they're they're at 37,000 feet, Ryan. Pilots that assumably are not. They're coherent. They understand what's going on. They're not a Joe Biden. I'm saying they, this they're, one they're, was drunk. No, no, I, I don't think. I think they've looked into this a little bit, and they're, they're saying that they are not. So they, they suddenly encounter a fast-moving, what they call a fast-moving, long, slender object that is almost looks like a cruise missile, which maybe maybe it was a cruise missile. I, I, I don't know what it was, but there was something that basically did a flyby over top of them that nobody can explain. It's not on any flight path, any flight schedule. Obviously, the military blocks off those areas when they're running tests. It's a very, very difficult one to explain. If it was a test missile of some sort, there was one very big mistake made, and, and they didn't do things properly. So I really don't know. Most are, are if leaning. If it was a test missile, they almost hit a passenger plane. Exactly. And I can't imagine that being possible. Can you? No, no. So they, they uh-huh. have a they have the the recording of the pilot basically informing a tower of what's going on, and you know this pilot's thinking, oh shit, I don't even want to talk about it. I, this. This isn't going to go well. His comments: Do you have any targets up here? We just had something go right over the top of us. I hate to say this, but it looked like a long cylindrical object that almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing moving really fast over the top of us. That's coming from the pilot to the tower. That's a ruckus. It, well, obviously, he's seen other planes. He's probably seen a lot of things up there. Well, there is a big difference in what a plane looks like in a missile, people. And, and it wasn't just him. The, the co-pilot witnessed this. Other flight attendants witnessed this. It wasn't just one person. So oh, with that wow. being said, it, 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 um, to me, I validate his story that he saw something. I'm not, no. I, I don't think they're making it up. It'd be too large of a conspiracy. So I did, as as you can imagine, I did just a little bit of research on this. You get the most giddy over aliens. I do, because I think they can save us. They're going to save us. Dear Lord, if they will beam Biden up, I'll be all for it. I believe if they're paying attention, and particularly listening to this podcast, you know what they're going to do for us. What, they're going to vote you president? Um, That wouldn't do it. That we get a step closer. A step closer. I think they're going to take out the Chinese leadership. Oh, there you go. The aliens are listening to Dale, and they are going <laughs> to send their cylindrical missile objects into the Chinese Communist Party. Agreed, and and you know this oh, is on all the my. It's on- listeners. I am so sorry. <laughs> like I, I really apologize because he gone flat ass crazy to this week. I'm telling you, that is the only thing I can come up with when I when I consider the technology they have for bio-warfare and a COVID-like, lethal, more contagious virus that is genetic-specific that would not affect Asians as much as African-American, Hispanic, Eastern, European. There's no other way to stop them. So this is, this is it. This is our last hope. Aliens. 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 They're going to save us. Aliens are going to save Dale. And back real quick, there. when I research this, it's amazing how many stories. And, and you know, kind of like the Bigfoot thing. And I want to believe in Bigfoot, but I just can't. You can believe in aliens, but you can't believe in Bigfoot. Think about the great vast universe out there. It's, I'm it's not too- saying I don't believe that I don't 
not believe in aliens. But if you can go there, why can't you believe in Bigfoot? I want to believe in Bigfoot, but I cannot find any tangible evidence. That hair sample, that DNA evidence, I can't come up with it. You have a hair sample of an alien? No, I do not. But I I didn't think they had any hair. <laughs> no, I, I don't know what they have. But I there there is no statistical way that some life form may not be intelligent, may be intelligent, I don't know. It has to exist out there. There's no that that's an absolute in my mind. It's just at what level. I don't believe in Bigfoot, but I want to believe in the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> I I want I, I want to believe in all of those things and I'm having a hard time coming up with with much evidence to support our case, but well, you can you, you can you can want to do it. You well, have now you that have, we have followed you down this rabbit hole. And, yes, um, I would like to bring up something very serious in current events. And I know that y'all are all going to say I'm crazy, and that's fine. But I admit to that daily that I could be. Biden has been in office a month, and he has had one hundred thousand people die of COVID nineteen. Trump fought this for nine months, people, and he only had 400,000 people die. There's been 500,000 deaths total. 100,000 of them have been with boy Biden up in there running shit, and he was going to fix it and all this other stuff. And what have you done for me, Joe? What have you done? (laughs) What have you done for me lately? I'd love, Wait, I'm not done yet. <laughs> I love the title, but I can't let you get away with that. I'm not done yet. <laughs> go, go, go. And not one of these sorry bastards on the mainstream media have called him a murderer, that the plague is all his fault. Nothing. Nothing about it. Nothing. I hear nothing. That is the most accurate statement you've maybe ever said. It's incredible. They don't. You know what they would be doing if this happened on Trump's watch? I watched it for nine months. No, I think even this would take him over the edge, all the way over. And you're right. There is nothing. Not a mention, is there? Not one word, no nothing. And Joe's just rocking on along, and it's all fine and whatever. But he has done nothing to fix it, nothing to do anything. And the media, they don't exist. How did I find out these numbers? I looked them up. I am so fearful that Joe just, he's in a cloud. I think he's oblivious to most everything around him. Back to the 100,000 deaths, we, we realize it's great headlines and what you're talking about, the media comparison. Is no, there are no headlines. Headlines from you, you your yeah. statement mm-hmm. itself. But you realize that, that no matter what Joe did or didn't do, did not impact those 100,000 deaths this month at all. And, I, and I do, I'm not defending Joe, I promise you. But that's that's a little bit like the left media skewing things a little bit about us. Did the 100,000 people die while he was president? They did. Okay, then. That's all yeah, I said. I, and I, and I'm good. I That's all leave. I said. And I, and I didn't I'm blame at- Joe for it. I said 100,000 people died since he's been president. Yep, and I can, I, we can leave it at that, and it works. How's that sound? It's not like Trump went around and killed these people personally. And a serious note, and Ryan makes a good point. Joe came up saying he's got a plan. He's going to do this. He's he's going to fix all this. Ryan, what has he done? What have you done for me, Joe? And I'm not saying there's something he can do, but he sure pretended like there was something he could do. Yeah, and there's been nothing. Nothing, nothing, zero. Talked about the double mask, talking about restricting travel. Oh, and Fauci, your brother. God. I, I am telling you, that guy is out of That control. man needs to go. I'm glad you gone. brought mask gone. up. God, gone, he needs gone, to go. Gone, gone, Now we're going to be wearing masks till 2020, according to him. He did come out and say that. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
do you remember this is the same man that that said wearing a mask really will do no good in the beginning yep that was at the beginning yeah i remember that now we have gone from oh i think that we'll have full capacity sporting events by fall of 2021 now it's two masks and now mask to 2022 and the the type of mask i wear is just i don't know what it's even called i pull it up over wear it around my neck pull it up just a cloth or synthetic type sun guard basically for fishing or out on the water you realize it does absolutely nothing, probably causes more harm than good, but it's required. I have to wear them going into places. And 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 Ryan and I talked about this, just like Ryan's in Oklahoma right now. I'm assuming you go into a gas station, you're probably most of the time not wearing one. No, they're, they're not wearing and, one. And, and in some parts and of Texas Ellen, is the same way. Same way. And, and I just came through Iowa yesterday, and it was much more relaxed than Illinois. It is just interesting how these pockets, you have pockets of people that are still as locked down as tight as they were in the beginning you have Michigan. other again yeah remember yeah, exactly and how is this possible that in today's society with social media with with everything that we have how can they they explain how we have california michigan all the way locked down florida texas oklahoma wide open statistically no no difference or even maybe leans toward the side that's wide open i don't know how people are not just saying screw it completely. Every single person saying screw it and go. No, that's a very good point. This has affected the whole country, but obviously every state thinks that they're going to fix it a different way. None of them have fixed it very well. So again, I go back to the point. It's an individual choice. Whatever you want to do, you do. If you want to wear a mask, you do. If you don't, you don't. If you want to sit at home and be afraid of Rona for the rest of your life, sit there. I'm not going to be that person. No, and, and but you don't have any problem with those that choose to do so? No. Or or not do so? Now, I do make fun of the people on Snapchat that sit at the bars and the restaurants and, like, take their mask off and on while they drink. We do, not, we do not talk about your Snapchat on the junior program. Oh, uh, okay. But I do make fun of those people. Ryan does not have a Snapchat. For I do make fun of those listeners. people. He does no, not see, have one. Dale just thinks that I'm going to screw up the Snapchat accounts and put it on Beyond the Ring <laughs> Snapchat account instead of my own. I told him I'm very talented at this, and I have not done that yet, and I'm not going oh, to. You you have not as of as of. I'm this telling point. you, you think people rioted and protest this summer. You get rid of my Snapchat, I think the world will, like, revolt. I'm not getting rid of your Snapchat. I'm banding it from the those. 500,000 people. Have viewed my Snapchat in the last and month. None are under the age of 18, correct? Well, you're not supposed to have Snapchat if you're not 18. But I'm just saying. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's. Are you ready for the main topic? Sure. We didn't really discuss this very much. I, I assume we're on the same page on what the main topic is the cold, hard facts of what it takes to win on the big stage. Does that work, Ryan? Well, I mean, this is another one of the topics that I suggested. So, yeah, go right ahead. I don't know if I have the title, how you st- – I don't remember how I, – I, No, I that's par- fine. I paraphrased a little bit, I think. No, that's fine. But that's still fine. the same – we get the same meaning. Right. Let us have it there, sir. Okay. Uh, I'm going to – I would like to just – a real brief introduction to this one, Ryan. And I'm, I'm going to take this one maybe a little more serious than, than some of the other episodes because I, I think there's there's some value here in – I want to make this industry as you do and, and many people out there better. But right now, I would say it's as difficult as any time in history of junior market showing. And we can carry this over into the breeding as well. But we, we try to limit a little more towards the market just from a time standpoint. The level of competition and number of exhibitors pushing hard on the national stage is deep. 
there may not have been a time in history as solid and as competitive as it is right now. When I think back to the days, and I did not get to partake in them, but but history tells us during the International Stock Show in Chicago, the number of animals in a class and, and that the market animal show there was amazing. Maybe it was more competitive then. However, there could not have been as much variation in terms of access to different supplements, to different feeding programs. You, you always think what you're living in now is the best and the biggest. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but within my lifetime, there is no question it is more competitive and more difficult to win on the national stage right now as it ever has been. Ryan, your thoughts? I don't think there's any question uh, that that is correct. And it's not just the animals have got better. It's not just that the showmen have got better. It's not that families are, you know, more competitive. It's just uh, there's a lot more that goes into it now than used to. And some of that's good and some of it's bad, but it just is what it is. I had Grand Reserve steer at 13 major shows throughout the United States. That's a huge number. We don't have to worry about campaigning our steer or our pig or our goat. Now, that's a part of it. Like, you you have to have basically a media campaign around your animal. And I know people aren't going to want to hear that, but it's the truth. No, there's going to be a lot of things that we, we talk about as, as the truth on this one. And it is what it is, but maybe we can we can bring some light to this and maybe we can make make some changes. And I think when we go from one species to the next, the extra challenges in a certain species that may not be in another, but it, but there's challenges in each one of them. And I think we can go go through those. I don't know. Ryan's talking about that media campaign and maybe maybe we kind of start there, Ryan. And and I agree in in the whole purpose of what we call this media campaign is I don't know, Ryan, maybe a snowball effect. It's important. One of the first shows out, let's say we are at, I don't know, for the calves in, in the northern part, whether it's uh, Hoosier Beef Congress for the Indiana people or Illinois Beef Expo or whatever it is, it always seems pretty critical to get out there and try to win that first one. Ryan, explain why. I'm not talking it takes this for or people at the county fair level are concerned. I'm talking about like state fairs, major shows. I'm talking big stuff. And I'm telling you, we do this in Texas. You target shows that you want to go to, that you think you can do well at, so you can get it out there, whether it's an ad in a magazine, on the Pulse, on your Facebook, Instagram, whatever, that that one's out there, one this, one that. And you you continue to do this throughout the year. And if people want to sit there and tell me they don't, I'm going to call them a liar. Because I see it. I know it. I've done it myself. So. We're just going to call things out and be transparent and talk about facts. No, absolutely. And everyone that wants to win on a big-time level, they do this shit, too. And it goes all the way through. Just like in everything in life, there's some different approaches to it. I mean, some people put up the pictures of the animals getting clipped and dialed in before the major show or the state fair and all that. I mean, it goes all different ways. Like at major shows in Texas, they're several days long. And so you win your breed, you ain't even got a backdrop photo yet, but you got a picture of that kid and that banner and all this other stuff up on there, hyping it up and all this stuff before the grand drive. And again, I don't care if these people don't want to hear this. This is what happens. 
No, there's no question it happens. And, I, and Ryan, I don't know. I don't think we can change it. I, I don't know how you can change it. I think no, I'm as, not saying to change it. I'm no. just saying people want to know. Just part of it. What happens and everything. This is a part of it. I'm not saying it's wrong. And I'm not saying we have to change it. But I'm saying this is a part. When you were talking about how difficult it is, this is a part of what is real life in the livestock show industry now that is relatively new. I would say within the last the last five years is where right. it really has escalated. And it is. No question it's it's a part of it. When we talk about it becoming more difficult and extra things that you have to do, this is a prime example of something that is relatively new. That is out there. It's real life, and all of us do it that want to win at a national level. And it, it's probably not going away. No, no, I don't think so. It's just impossible to regulate. Let's jump into another one. This one, Ryan, I, I think you'll you'll have a lot of input in. And again, we're going to talk about different species and, and how this affects it. And winning on that that big stage, and, and this is maybe too simple or too obvious, but you you better be game on from a showman standpoint, maybe title it experience showman understand where we're at, what we're doing. Does that mean that a, that a young first or second year kid can't come in and win a national show? It doesn't mean they can't, but guess how how seldom that happens. It doesn't happen a lot. It, it has happened. It mm-hmm. will happen, but it does not happen a lot. But also, I think that when it does happen, those eight, nine, ten-year-olds that do do that, they're still very good at showing for that age or any age are all the ones that I have seen win a big show that early. They're very good at what they do because again, it's part of the total package and I don't care what man or woman is out there in that ring. I have talked about judging more on this podcast than probably I ever thought I would and what goes through your mind. And I don't care who you are out there. If you get the opportunity to judge a state fair or one of these national, junior nationals, huge national events, major shows, etc. I talk about how the subconscious affects you and all this other stuff because I I know it does. And the the thoughts, I guess I'm more honest about the thoughts that run through a judge's mind than most people will be. And I will tell you, when I have been in those moments, I always sit there and I say, you know what? God, at least this kid can show good. Or I mean, no one wants to use someone to win a title that prestigious that you don't know with everything in you. This kid has worked with this animal. There is no doubt about it. They are in sync. He knows what he's doing. She's very aware of what she's doing. I mean, you want it to make sure, you want to make sure that they are on it and with it and not just one of those kids that maybe their parents push them into doing this and they don't love it or eat up with it. And I promise you, I'm not the only one that thinks that in those moments. No, it happens, Ryan. And I think that's being very transparent and, I can assure you that I, I think I go further and dig harder than than most if I'm sorting a show to try to sort the quality of that animal. But exactly what Ryan's saying, when that, that showmanship all comes together and everything's working, it makes it so, so much easier. And there's a lot of judges out there, guys, 
you may have a showman come in. It may be a showman that has or has not worked with that animal. There's some animals that just aren't going to cooperate, period. And, and you feel bad for them. You, you, you know that kid's working at it. It just, it just isn't happening. But there's, there's no question these things go through your head. I want to take it one step further. When I have a younger kid out there that's just killing it, absolutely nail it in terms of showmanship, I'm not going to give them a conscious advantage and, and use that animal over one that's, that's maybe not as good or, or I should say is better. But in the back of my mind and that subconscious, guess what, Ryan? If it's, if it's pretty darn close, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll think, wow, that young kid's really got one. It just makes you feel good. I'm going to use this in a weird way, but many Herefords are a big craze right now. The reason many Herefords are a big craze is because every other species of livestock, they let children from diaper age up begin showing. I mean, I've seen a kid follow a pig around in a diaper before at a show. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that's how it is. And so cattle did not have that because most all cattle shows uh, have a rule that you have to be the age to be in 4-H or junior FFA to show because obviously they're larger animals, all this other stuff. And so that is why many Herefords started because or why it became so big is because we could get these little kids ring experience that all these other species were getting that we weren't. And it's, it's, it was crazy popular, still is crazy popular. And these families that have it in their mind that they want to win on a national level, they're starting at three, folks. They're not starting at eight. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I mean, that's just facts. It just is. I'm going to I'm gonna tell a very short story here that proves that exception, and, and Ryan confirmed that there are some of these younger kids that, that will win on the big stage, and, and there's something I want to bring into it. I'm going to use my, my daughter, Katie, as an example. She showed the grand champion weather at Louisville, and she had just turned 10 years old. Okay, and I'm going to disclose some things here. We're going to hope my wife does not listen to this episode, Ryan. We're hopeful here. I don't think Holly listens to you ever. No, she's only when she's next door here in the office and hears us record, I think, is, is when she's listening. But, okay, we, we've got my daughter going out there. We have Brandon Callis judging the show. Wins his class. You could tell that he really likes this one. Um, everything going the right direction. And Katie's just turned 10, does a nice job showing, but for a 10-year-old on a goat, she was fine. Is she as good as the experienced showman? By no means, not even close. So when we get ready to go back into the champion drive, we've got a couple, two or three goats going into the champion drive. What's going through my head, Ryan? When I when I know Katie has the best one. Probably you were very freaked out that you weren't going to end up winning the show. Because why? Because you didn't think she'd get a drift good enough. So what, as a bad dad, what was what went through my mind? What did I think about You probably doing? wanted to put terror on it. I did. Oh, you did? No, I did not put her on it. Oh. I did. Now, we, my wife I was and like, I. Oh, oh my. Yeah, you're so, still married? No. we. So and I'm just going to be very transparent with our audience here, our listeners. So what I'm trying to get at and what Ryan and I are getting at, we have a couple goats going back into the Grand Drive. We could put whatever kids on them because Katie had more than one going in. And there's one goat that clearly, no question, Brandon unloaded. You knew which one he liked, period. Mm-hmm. And Katie was doing a nice job, not not as good as what her older sister or many of the experienced kids at the show were doing. So me, from a standpoint, and this is this is a bad dad. From a business model perspective, I'm thinking it'd really be nice to win this one again and get that promotion and, and allow our brand to, to build upon itself. 
And then you've got the father side. Wow, that's a great experience for someone this age to go out there and, and have a shot at winning one of these big shows at that age. So I had a discussion with my wife about possibly putting my older daughter, Tara, on that one. And Ryan, you know how that went, don't you? Oh, I bet it was just fabulous. And she was like, oh, I completely understand. And of <laughs> no, course, no. do whatever is important and you think is best. Dear. No, and I shouldn't even admit that, that I even brought the topic up. But the decision was made. Katie was going to go back out on that goat. She went back out on it. But it does take, and I think Ryan can, can qualify this, I think Brandon was was hit hard enough by that goat, and she did a good enough job. She went ahead and won that show, which is is wonderful. But in hindsight, when I talk to Katie now, she has not won Louisville since then or again. And as a 10-year-old, Ryan, she had no idea, no idea what she'd accomplished, zero. Where I think it, as a 14, 15, 16-year-old, they understand the magnitude of that a little bit better. But it can be done. I think for younger showmen, it's more difficult, and, and, and people can argue this, I think it's more difficult in the goat and the lamb ring only because of the physical strength it takes sometimes to get embraced. You're right on that. There, there's no doubt on that. But one thing that you brought up that I, I want to comment on, so you have this situation, and when I, when I was a child, it was completely different. My brother had zero interest in showing. My parents made him, uh, but because he was the oldest— he got the better animals. I had to stick with breed animals till he was done, all this other stuff. And so Randy was a nice showman, not not a great showman, but a nice showman. And so he would, as I've told you before, we spent mega money on this. And so he'd be out there showing these cattle just nicely. And me and all the people that worked for us were like, uh, Ryan, you need to be on this one. And so a lot of times when Randy would have multiple ones in the grand drive at a big show, not at majors, because most majors you can only show one steer in your name. But at, at big jackpots and stuff like that, yeah, they would put me on the best one because they would want it to get around. So I get what you're saying, but I was the younger child. But you were the one that was passionate about it. Randy just wasn't passionate. Right. On your point about older kids and what it means to them, I think that is a big part of it. I also think that, again, the way a judge's mind works is you see somebody out there that's 8, 9, 10. You see somebody out there that's 15, 16, 17. Again, this runs through your mind. That little boy or little girl's got many, many years left. How many years does this kid have left? People aren't going to want to hear that that goes through judges' minds. It does. And you can make the conscious effort to get that out of your head and just use the best one. And I think you probably do. But that thought still goes through there, folks, whether you want to admit it or not. I think you you brought out an excellent point. And I think you see it more because I see it from the outside at Texas Majors. And, and I'm referring mostly to the goat and the sheep ring. And I'm not watching the other shows as much. But the Texas Majors in the goat ring, we're going to narrow it way down. They will oftentimes bring in a Texas extension judge or a Texas native that knows a lot of those kids. It's just that there's no way that they're going to be at that level and qualified to judge and not know some of those kids and families. And I guarantee you, in the state of Texas and maybe maybe at OYE in Oklahoma as well, I guarantee you those judges that know most of those kids and know who's a senior and who isn't, there is the benefit of the doubt given at that point. And I see it more in Texas than anywhere else. 
And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it is what it is. I know that thought goes through your mind. I've been there, people. Yep. And again, maybe I'm the only one that's willing to like talk about this <laughs> stuff, but I've been there. I know. Well, let's let's move on. Let's let's kind of venture into the feeding aspect, Ryan. How how competitive is it to understand the feeding and, and get it done at the national level? Every part is so integral. And again, there's a segment of the population that think that a show is one once you get there or getting ready for it at the end. I tend to believe that the show is one from the start and actually every day leading up to the getting ready for it because there's lots of people that you can hire to get that one ready to the best level that there is out there at a show. It is much harder to find the one that is capable of winning that show and then managing it and taking care of it and feeding it and giving it everything it needs to become as great as it can be so it has the opportunity to win the show. So I, I think the other stuff is way harder, way more integral, and way more important. Because it can't be, you can't hire somebody to come in and fit that last. You can't, that that part is the long term. It's the everyday. Right, it's everyday. And I mean, yes, there are people that are hired in barns across America to feed those animals every single day. You can do that, and people do do that. But I think that whether you whether you're doing it yourself or you're hiring somebody, that part is probably more important than the last 10 days before the show. Because there are fewer people out there in this world that can get that part right. Nope, that, that's interesting, Ryan. I want to take a little bit different angle on it. And I see a couple things because of where we're at today, because of all the feeds. There, there's no question, Ryan, there's more feed supplements available today and different ideas on how to feed livestock today that are available via social media, via whatever protocol from this camp or that camp. There's all kinds of them. And the simple fact that there's so many more choices to make today, maybe than there were 20 years ago, that makes it more difficult. I can use our guest from last week, Mr. Eric Fugate. He's got a close relative that has a PhD in swine nutrition that he has full access to and will oftentimes run ideas by on feed rations and supplements. And uh, this gentleman will usually laugh at him because he strays so far away from the basic science and what can be done. So in my mind, it's more difficult because of all the choices that are thrown out there. You see an ad on social media or on the cover of a magazine that such and such won Oklahoma City and it was on this supplement. Well, all of a sudden we think, well, we better incorporate that supplement in because this one won on it. I'm going to take a totally different direction on this and say, if we stick to the basics and understand animal nutrition, I, I have my master's degree in ruminant nutrition. And I can be confused right now when I have posed with questions over all the different supplements that I get asked about and how they're going to help or harm or whatever a particular animal when you incorporate it into the diet. And it's real simple. If I'm going to follow one rule, let's stick to the basics. Most show feeds are balanced well and properly. I'm not saying there's one brand that's better than the other for one species or another. But if you can limit your supplement to 20% of that diet or less, and our, our amount of supplement is about zero that, that we use in our barn every day, but rather understand energy, understand amino acids and, and how we need to, to make sure we're balanced, understand 
a calcium phosphorus ratio, do the basics that have been done forever and don't get too sidetracked, I think it's going to be easier for you. And Ryan, we've talked about supplements before. We're we're on the same page on that. Yeah, no, I'm not that person that feeds every supplement. I I think there are some that are work and some that are better than others. And again, I don't think they're cure-all or catch-all. And like Mr. Fugate said, he is a self-proclaimed supplement whore, but uh, he said the one thing is there, there's not just one that does everything. And so I, I think that there are some, and you know, we've had Blaine Rogers on here and he's talked to, about this too, that are specifically targeted for different things. And some of those work and that's fine. But I tend to agree with you more in terms of having a high quality feed, always having fresh, clean water, but also knowing when you need to change up the ration of that feed to make that animal go on and advance and grow and progress in a different way. That's the tricks right there. That's, that's, the, that's, that's the art of it, understanding that and understanding how to do that, how to make that change. And when it needs to happen. And be willing to pull the trigger and do it. Right. And that's why I think this part is important because there's a lot more people that can clip one or fit one or get one ready for a show. This is real obvious if you think about it. Think about all these open show cattle strings. They've probably got 20 people clipping and fitting their cattle for a show beforehand and at it. There's one person in charge of feeding them in every barn in America. And more times than not, it's not that person who's doing the clipping and the fitting. Nope. And if you don't believe me, just research it. Just that, it's that simple. And I love that Ryan brought in the water standpoint. And, and people, I remember in our 4-H or FFA record books, it seemed like the, the, the craziest thing to do that you're provi- you write down, you're providing fresh water every day. And I'm thinking, well, this is stupid. Everybody's doing that. Well, guess what? I, I no. had an, exam- an example. We, no. we, we pictured goats yesterday. And my wife is actually in charge of feeding all of the goats once they're weaned until sale time. She, she's taken over that responsibility and does a phenomenal job. Our manager, Craig, says, hey, we're picturing early in the morning. Let's not feed pins A, B, and C because I'm going to pull some weathers out of there, and I don't want them too full when we're, we're picturing. So she did not feed those in the morning. I go down there to help her feed last night in those exact pins, and we, we hand bucket water everything so we have an idea on where water intake is, Ryan. Those pins, guess how much that did not get fed that morning? Mm-hmm. Guess how much water they drank? No. When we went down there, I, I, I changed the water buckets because they had crap and different things in them. But if we don't eat feed, we don't drink water. If we don't drink water, we don't eat feed. It's right. just so, so simple. My wife sends me a text here while we're recording this morning, and, and every bucket down there is empty because those goats went off water a little more yesterday. Not because water wasn't available, but because feed wasn't available, and it goes both directions. And I think if there's one simple thing, we don't provide maybe, we'll provide water that they'll drink enough to survive and get along, but we don't want that. We want maximum water intake to maximize feed intake. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. This whole point of this topic and telling you these things, that it, it's not just the simple things, but it is the art of feeding one is knowing when you have to do things to maximize that animal at different times and not, and like you said, not being scared to do it. That's something that just takes experience. And I'm sorry, people aren't going to want to hear that. Nobody's wrote a book on it. 
And I promise you, the people that are masters at it, they're not going to either. Because they're not going to share those things with the masses. They're not. And I deal with a lot of new clients each year that are very, very intelligent, successful people. And and in their thoughts, I'm willing to give as much of a protocol. We we open up exactly what we do here. We give our clients everything we possibly can. Yes, but can. you give it to your clients. Correct. And you don't give it to the world. Well, <laughs> pretty, uh, it's, it's pretty available, but you're right to our clients. But what I'm getting at is even though an incredibly intelligent person comes into this, maybe from another species, maybe not from the livestock arena, what Ryan said right there, I can give them everything, but it's that experience and that art of being able to look at those animals and understanding how to adjust. When you're not there every day doing it, it's very difficult to coach from afar and get it done to the level that you're going to win on the national stage. Can you get through a county show or a jackpot? Or Absolutely. <laughs> But but that whole experience thing, no matter how intelligent that person is, it just takes time. It takes experience. You are right. Attention to detail while we're we're talking about that, Ryan. I think it's it's right there. I mean, we've we've talked about some simple things, and and maybe the the easiest way for me to put this, we're going to talk about several different things here, and I hope this episode doesn't run long because I know Ryan's got another show to judge today. But attention to detail, what it's going to come down to. Okay, we talked about the water feed correlation or relationship. If we miss one of these things from a management standpoint, you've just taken yourself out of winning at the national level. Okay. And it may be something as simple as rinsing that water bucket out twice a day or or whatever it may be. But if we miss one of those things, if we put too much supplement in that we've screwed up a calcium phosphorus ratio and nutrients aren't being absorbed as well as they can be. If we stress that animal because he's never been hauled before we go to that first big show, We've all of a sudden taken ourselves out of every single thing has to happen because of the level of competitiveness that this detail and not leaving any room for error or missing one of those things because it takes you out of it. It's that simple. Ryan, you've won, you said 12, 13, whatever. 13. If, and some, maybe you're going to get lucky. Maybe one of those things didn't happen, but 90% of the time, you have to have every one of those things firing. You can't miss a single thing or you're done. It's over. You may stay in second class. It's over. It is the little things and those things that a lot of people miss or forget to stay on top of that gives edges in these things. And because I say when I when I was a kid and won 13 major shows, uh, you would go to a show and you'd walk around and there'd be two or three. Yeah. And, and you knew it, it, there was those two or three. And those two or three. Did not miss anything, period. No, but now when you go to a show, I think there's probably 12 to 15. Depending on the species, it even gets deeper. Right, and I mean, Texas major steers. I'll I'll use that, 12 to 15. I think the other species, there are that many or more, is what I would say. Just in last years and stuff, it, it continues to get more competitive. and so. All of those fine details from the very beginning all the way till you walk into the grand drive. Yeah, that th- those little things are going to separate out. No, it's it's interesting. And I, I can't tell you because there's more people doing a better job and it goes back to how competitive it is right now. There's more and more people that are doing every single thing right. And we talk about the last few days going into the show and 
I don't know how many national champions my daughters or son or my kids have won or our clients have won, but I promise you each and every one of those, lots of things were, were done in a, in, in t- have taken place to make that happen or make sure to give you the best chance of that happening. Anything from acclimating those, those animals at home, our metabolism in our goats is crazy high. They're crazy. Just simply put, they're more high strung than most, kind of like of an Arabian horse. So I, I have to deal with it a little bit different maybe, but from an acclimation standpoint at home, a radio in the barn, people coming through the barn, getting used to that, a dog going through the barn, we have to haul to a couple shows and not just ours, but a cross species, probably a good idea to get out and get to a couple shows to know how that animal is going to haul and travel. Some are going to travel, no issues. Others are going to stress out on us pretty bad. And we need to know those kind of things. The biggest uh, mistake that I see when we we sometimes will haul from here and, and go quite a ways and people are traveling further and further all the time, Ryan, I think we had a question a couple episodes ago. Do we tie the cattle? Do we let them tie down? Do we let them loose in the trailer? We are traveling further. When we come from a long distance and we get into a national show, it is critical. And I, I make our clients and our children, when they we get those animals into that pen, guess what I want them to do? Tell me. Chill. I want them to lay down. I want them to go to sleep. I will go find, if it's evening when we get in there, and for some reason they leave all the lights on, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. If I could shut the section of lights off in that area, I would do so so those animals can get some rest. I think a lot of times we get animals to the show, we're nervous, we're thinking we need to do something with them every hour, and those animals don't get any time to rest. I think that's that's going backwards as much as you possibly can. So I, I would love 12 hours of just rest, if if allowed at a given show or if if possible before we really start screwing with them. Get them on feed, get them on water, get them going. Let them, let them go the right direction. I, I hate that we agree so much on a topic <laughs> that we haven't talked about, but one of my pet peeves at major shows when we're showing these steers at Texas Majors is part of this and why we all like to do it is a social activity. And we have friends and we have buddies that you specifically see at the show. And that is great. I, I I mean I'm social. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> the the one thing that literally sends me over the edge is it seems like the first thing everybody wants to do is to stand in the bed of the animal and talk. I love it, Ryan. You, you nailed it. I, I can't. And t- I I mean I literally go insane. I mean, no, you do not get as upset as I do. You oh, do not. Oh no, Dale, I don't. I mean, I have called people everything but a white man and a child of God. I'm going to use an excuse here. I, it is a social activity, and you know what? I cannot grasp that because I'm a social introvert. I don't get it. I'm not a social person. Period. I'm going to just be throw it right out there. I'm not. Do I pretend and can I fake it? Yeah, sure, great. But I'm not. It just isn't in me. When we get there, just like Ryan's talking about standing in the stalls basically to talk, and, and those animals are kind of paying attention to what's going on, they'll come and lean up against a gate where those goats are pinned, or even even near that or walk that way. Every time one of my children walks that way, and if that's the child that's been feeding that animal, guess what? They get up. They're not relaxed. They're not resting. It's, it's inhibiting that whole thing that we're talking about. I ban them from going in that area. I will tell my clients, guys, you just stay. I don't want you near those pins. Period. Don't set your chairs in front of them. Just get away. Go. Get. And, that and is I, the <laughs> one thing in the lamb, goat, and pig deal 
that like I spent a lot of time in those barns, obviously. Not as much as time as Cattleburn, but a lot. I do not know. Like, th- this is why I could not sell or broker those type of animals. Because, like, and I'm just saying it, like, Texas Major Show, there are people and chairs everywhere <laughs> right beside those things. Like, I would have to have a SWAT team with me to move people out of my animals area for just what you're saying. Because, yeah. I mean, like, it, it just, and again, it happens in the cattle deal too, but maybe because of the way cattle stalls are a setup and assembled and stuff, there is not the masses on top of those animals. There are still people that do it and whatever. But like what we did, we would all haul in as one force. And so everyone knew the rules. And if somebody's buddy came up and didn't know the rules that wasn't on the team, I would take them out and no problem. It amazes me when you go into a lamb and goat pig barn that these people think that these animals can rest and get what they need and to win a show when there's 900 chairs and a crock pot and everything else right on top of them. But yeah. And, and, and guys, we're not trying to be negative towards those of you that, that are doing that. It's more, here's what we think. And here's our opinion to try to get to that next level. And if no, my being, opinion is that that cannot happen. <laughs> but if your priority is to be social rather than win the national show, then that works out just fine, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. I'm not talking to those people right now. That is perfectly. Now, at the Texas Majors, Ryan, because they are so limited on space, there are chairs in the lamb and goat pens with kids sitting in the pens with them. No, I know. And I it's, would literally, if I had a lamb or goat in Texas, I would have to take a tarp and put it around my pen for my animal. So it could not see all this stuff. And and that's probably against the rules. But I'm telling you, that is what I would do. I would be, I would want <laughs> a cover for my pen so he could block my animal, could block out all that nonsense and tomfoolery. No, but I think you and I are probably the most extreme on that one. I don't I don't know that this goes. Through I a am lot of the other most extreme. I literally will threaten to hurt somebody. I, it bothers me when someone is up. In my cow stall trying to have a conversation. Take it outside. One more thing, Ryan, I want to bring up while we're talking about that attention to detail. And I get made fun of and I embarrass my children. So we, we started showing steers a few years ago and just at our, our local beef expo in our state fair. And we go to load up for our state fair. And I, I tell my daughter, Tara, we need 60 buckets of water from our place. And it's just easier to haul it in buckets to pour it into the tub rather than putting a 100-gallon thing and pump it out and all these things. So I'm bringing the water from home. Not a new concept. A lot of people do that. But maybe in the cattle side, we're using filters and doing other things. And maybe I don't need to. But I am I am so anal about those kind of things that in my mind, if we can provide the exact same, we're more likely to drink than not drink. And it goes back to that feed and water correlation, something that simple. We have a perfect one at home. We take a water filter. We take all our feed. And for some reason, that water is just enough different. At that show, you're wanting to win. That animal doesn't drink. At that show, you're not allowed to use a pump. Maybe you can't put water into them. How are you going to get along, Ryan? Stupidest rule ever. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> no, <laughs> it doesn't I, fit your one rule deal at all. No, it does not fit my one rule thing at all. But I, I literally do have like a huge issue over shows not letting you hydrate your animals when they don't won't drink. Yeah, like I, I think that is just 
stupid and breaks all rules of common sense because it goes against animal welfare. Animals are going to go to a show, be in a surrounding that they've never been in before, and they are not going to want to eat and drink. And you, pro- rules, prohibit us from keeping that animal hydrated. And I could go off forever, but yeah, no. I get why you take your own water. I know lots of people that do. I know people that use filters. Uh, there's people that put food color in it at home and at the show or a flavors at home at the show. There's lots of different tricks. But yeah, I get exactly what you're trying to do and say there. And there's lots of different ways to make it work, whether it's whether it's a flavoring or a color, all, all of those things. You just got to find your own, but you can't. You can't let your guard down on that one. They, if you can't pump or hydrate at that show, I can't emphasize it enough, guys. I don't care what species we're looking at. We have to make sure that, that we can get that into them. And I agree with Ryan, this not allowing exhibitors to hydrate at the shows. And I understand maybe it needs to be done discreetly. Maybe it needs to be done in a different area so the public isn't watching because of animal welfare, animal rights issues. But it's inhumane to these animals, and we had to deal with it at our state fair. The dumbest rule in all of stock shows. I'm not joking. We're at Illinois State Fair at 100 degrees heat and high humidity, and these animals aren't drinking. I'm telling you, and we've got to be there for uh, uh, several days. That that just doesn't work, period. Does not work. Luckily, some of the superintendents have enough common sense. They just they just let it happen, whether it's in the rule book or not, and, and away you go. So. I'm not encouraging people to break rules by any means, but we have to use some common sense here, people. We absolutely no, if the have rules to. had made more sense, it'd be fine. It would be easier. So we're talking about handle and touch, Ryan, because we're, we're talking about this water and how to get them hydrated. Well, in, in everything except for pigs, but you'll, you'll, you'll love to make fun of my nephew for handling pigs, Ryan. But in general. I have on occasion <laughs> – Made fun of your nephew for handling the pigs. <laughs> exactly. That's fine. In general, obviously. I think he personally does it to make people upset. I don't know. I, I can discuss it with him. I, I don't know, but I'm telling you, the first time he did that at a Texas major show, you would have thought the world had come to an end. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Goats and lambs, when we're handling them, obviously fat cover is going to make make a difference in how much muscle they have. But the one thing we can do to change that handle in that last 24 hours is hydration. And it's just that simple. Most of the time, lamb and goat ring and, and steer and, and hog ring as well. Just not getting that as fine detail because we're not on top of them getting a hold of that rack and that loin. The way we can change that muscle is via hydration. If we dehydrate them, we're going to take water out of the muscle. They're probably going to handle a little harder. Maybe if they're a little fat, we can dehydrate them. But if they're not too fat, we want to maximize hydration. And understanding how to maximize hydration, there's a lot of different avenues to go that way, and we don't have time to talk about them all, and some are very, very successful. So you've, you've got to find your own path, but making sure that muscle's hydrated is absolutely critical, period. I have said on here before, and I will say again, the value of water in show programs is way underrated in all in all aspects. but. And again, I thought this topic would be short, and I can't believe that we've run this long already. But I didn't. The one thing that I think that we haven't got to talk about that we probably need to is selection, and because that that's a real big part of it. Huge, huge. So I want to hear what your thoughts on selecting one to win a major show. But do you remember the last episode we we talked to Eric Fugate, and and I think it's by species. We we and I'm going to just over give a little bit of overview. For those right. that didn't hear that, in the swine side of things, a lot of times people are putting more hogs on feed 
and there's a reason for it, that they're a little more difficult to predict how they're going to mature. And maybe because of management, we can make more changes with them. But it's more likely that a a $500 pig is going to win a national show than a $500 lamb, goat, or steer. That's just simple. It just happens. There's Mm -hmm. less predictability in the pigs. So I'm not saying that you don't go out and buy the best pig you can. And if it costs more, it costs more or whatever your budget allows. But selecting that animal that's going to feed, and there's a lot of misconception that these animals need to look like a market animal that's ready to walk into a national show as a baby. Ryan's going to tell you differently. The keys to selecting one sometimes aren't always under your control. Because if you know who the judge is, and we beat this to death, then you already have a huge advantage in terms of selecting one. Because normally, if a person is at that level, judging a national show, they've judged enough that you should know or have a general idea of the type and kind of animal that they prefer. And so that is a big part of selecting that animal. And and it goes into little things like there are some judges that prefer certain breeds over others. And that part of it, not just this person prioritizes X, Y, and Z in that order. We're talking about breed differences, people, that some people are more prone to using one of this breed or one that's this color. Those are the little bitty things right there that I'm talking about in selection. Because, yes, you have to select one that is a badass. But again, when you get on that level, there's more than just a handful that can win. So you got to give yourself every single little chance that you can, and every little edge helps. And Ryan and I probably are guilty of going almost too far selecting an animal for a specific judge if there no. is such a thing. No. We do it more than most. Let's let's put let's throw it out. I'm not saying go too far, but we're probably to the extreme with that. And more so because from a judge's perspective, you're open minded enough to know that if we take five judges that are judging national state fair level shows just randomly into any of the species market animals and throw that same champion lineup out there it's not going to land the same every time. It nope, just it's will. Not going to. And, and I think people think, well, that's the grand at Houston or that's the grand at the American Royal. That's the best one there, period. It's a damn good one, I'm sure. But guess what? You bring another judge in, that one that stood second or third in class, maybe the grand, because it's personal preference. It's not bad. It's not nope. good. It's not bad. It's not anything. This goes back to the 15 that can win, not three. Exactly. And that that's because we have that that Scotty Griner. Judges the, the goat show at San Antonio. Ryan got to watch some of it. Um, I did not get there. I'm watching it on the screen and had our manager, Craig, and my daughter, Tara, there. And Scott was predictable again in terms of coming in and using some big top, big-ended ones. And I remember on, a, on the podcast, Ryan, he said if, if they had all those things, he would not mind having the bells and whistles, which in the past, he's it just hasn't landed on those kind and very consistent. I would say this year at San Antonio – I saw, and again, I'm not there in person, and maybe Ryan can qualify this. We have Division Three champion goat that I would not have said is necessarily Scott's type. Being real honest with you, I, I, I was afraid it wasn't going to be his type because that thing was like rocket fronted and freak necked and cool looking and all all the things that I find intriguing. But he was also stout and muscular and 
sound. And so, and he used him to win. So good. And I, and I, and I think Scott, he continued to do what he said. And maybe, maybe it's just a situation where in the goat ring, we're evolving finally to the point that we can make him stout. And early on, when we made him stout, we couldn't get the other things. Right. So Scott would go and just use those stout ones that maybe weren't as good looking or didn't have the extra bells or whistles or shag or whatever. But we're finally evolving, and I think I think it was seen when he was sorting. You can find stout ones that still have those extras. So it's it's interesting. But it, it, just going back to each each judge is gonna 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 select something a little bit different. And the problem is Ryan and I think we're we're capable of predicting all these judges, and sometimes maybe we're going to be wrong, and we take it a, take it the wrong direction. There is one basis when I'm selecting babies; it doesn't matter what species, Ryan, and, and I know where you're going to be on it. That I probably put too much emphasis on, but I have a logic for it. I'm going to look at those those joints, those angles, that skeleton, and their ability to move. Maybe before anything else, because the one thing that I can't feed or manage or make a lot better if it's not acceptable is skeleton and movement. I'm not saying we can't help a little or we can damn sure crash them if, if we need to for, for doing the wrong things. But if we have that skeletal makeup and, and the basis there, I feel we can we can make enough adjustments in our management and feeding and exercise program that we can change some of those other things. It should go without saying that, and we talked about this last week, there are supplements and there are other things that can add mass, add bulk, add muscle, add delineation, all those things that work a lot better. There are things that you can get one with more finish or trim one up. Uh, and again, the supplement people are going to cringe when I say this and I don't care. <laughs> there is not a supplement out there that can make you sound or keep you sound. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've read. I, I read the. Yeah, well, they lie. (laughs) I don't doubt there's some some benefit to some glucose. I mean, what I'm going to say is you're going to make minor, minor changes with any any supplement you may give for soundness or joints or things like that. I'm going to say again, they lie. (laughs) We're going a little long, and there's, there's, Ryan, maybe we need to just expand this into another episode because I've got several areas I still Uh, want to cover. I was going to say, like, this... I thought this topic would be short. It's it's gone too long, and I've got to get the hell out of here. Just plainly <laughs> put, and so uh, maybe we'll revisit this subject again later. But yeah, it probably needs to be question and answer because I got to go judge Joe. It is, and we're going to shorten question and answer a little bit. I know to your disappointment, Ryan, we're going to oh, shorten. No, I'm just. And we won't even wrecked. we won't even talk about Pope Joy sponsoring it. We'll give them a discount today because we we don't have time to to give their tagline, and not to mention all the other sponsors that I, I keep. Not getting called back, but we're going to work on that. Okay. Shane, what do you believe is the best bedding for show lambs? We've always used sawdust, but have issues with it blowing around, getting in feed pans, waters, and their eyes. Is there something better? Wow, I don't know. I, I don't think so. No. We we have that issue, and my wife is is very anal about this. But when we put shavings in our pen for our sale goats, not show lambs, but I think we're gonna we can apply the same principle. They're fairly fine because the the ones that are, are a little more fine are much more absorbent. We can put the real big shavings, coarse shavings in there, and and they're they're not going to get in their eyes, they're not going to blow around as much, but they also don't absorb, maybe not as comfortable, all those things. So it's a no win battle. We I just ordered an entire semi load of shavings. I went through this exact process in my mind. Do I want to go a little finer and more absorbent? That's we're probably going to have to spray some eyes out and watch it a little bit closer, or do I go another direction? 
my wife is dealing with with just checking those those animals and make sure it's not in their eyes. But it is, Shane, it sounds like a simple question, but it's real. And and I, I don't know that I have an absolute answer for you. I know this isn't as prevalent in sheep and goats, and this was asked about sheep. And I'm asking you, too, a lot of the cattle barns use cedar. I know y'all don't use cedar, but do you think those pelleted shavings do better than just regular shavings? I, I like the pelleted shavings that are broken down at the shows for showering purposes. But not for the barn? Um, I, I don't know. It may be better. I haven't used it. Obviously, the horse ah. people use them heavy in the stalls and get along great. I, I don't know about the animals laying down on them until they break up and decompose a little bit. Right. But I don't know. Yeah. Good question, Shane. And, and uh, I, I don't know that we answered it very well for you, but we did the best we could. One more question, Ryan. It'll be a, a quick one. I'm not disclosing the name of this one just because I don't want to put that person in an awkward position. Mm-hmm. Our family purchased a heifer from someone not realizing that he was a judge. I'm sure they realized he was a judge. Maybe just not at the show they were planning to go to. We have since signed up for a show that he is judging. Should we avoid taking that calf to the show or proceed as normal? This is a very difficult question. It should just be an easy answer, but it's not because I don't know the background. Do you have other animals you could show? If you have other animals you could show, leave the one you bought from them home and show the other ones. If that's the only one that you have to show, I think you would probably need to contact that judge and say, hey, you know, this is the only animal we got. You're judging the show. We signed up for this show. Do you think this is a bad idea? If I am the judge, I'm going to tell you it's a bad idea and to stay your ass at home. But I'm not. I'm not every judge. And I know I know people that judge their own animals very fairly. And I've seen it happen with my own eyes. Some won, some lost. And it was fair and all good. And then I've seen people that just put them at the bottom of the class because they raised that animal and they don't think that it should have been out there. And so if you're going to go to a show where your breeder or broker is judging and they're going to put you last, why the hell go? (laughs) Ryan, you know what? It pains me. I'm not going to say a word because that was perfect. Perfect. And it's difficult. Period. That sounds like a simple question, but it is not simple. No, it, it is hard. And a lot of people are put in that position. And I, I, I honestly, I agree exactly where Ryan's at. And I don't want to be put in that position as a judge. I have been in that position. It's just not good. And every judge is going to handle it differently. Every family that decides whether they're going to haul to him or not is going to have to handle it differently, whether they have something. Because maybe, maybe you're in a situation where you only go to two or three shows a year. And this is one of them. Well, you hate for your child to not get that experience. So it, there is no good answer, unfortunately. But I know Ryan has a county fair somewhere in Oklahoma to judge, and he's mm-hmm. way behind. We're going to make him late, and he says he's never late. So I, hey, I've been late twice. Oh, and by the way, somebody told me I was late at a show in Ohio this fall. No, sir, I was not. I want to clear this up. I was there. The show was not ready on time. That's why we started late. So y'all don't blame the judge every time. Just saying. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, until next week, Ryan, thank you. All of those of you out there, be safe. Y'all come back now, you hear? 